New England who also are in a pastoral search and uh, helping them out. Uh, but it's been particularly uh, good uh, to be connected to this church. I, mean, I live in Alton, uh, New Hampshire, so pretty close by. And uh, I was previously the pastor of Be Free Community Church in Alton. And so this really feels like home. So it's good to be part uh, of uh, this process with you all. Uh, we are five weeks into a teaching series right now that we're calling Talking with God, where we are walking through uh, the Lord's Prayer together. Um, if you grew up in the church, this is probably a pretty familiar prayer to you. And, and even if you didn't grow up in the church, my guess is these words have a ring of familiarity. Um, this is a very common prayer from Jesus. And uh, our hope in this prayer, or in this teaching series, is to move um, past mere familiarity uh, to really uh, a realm of great importance and power as we pray these words. Uh, the context, when we come to the scriptures for this prayer, it's a context of learning. Um, Jesus didn't just one day kind of decide to uh, say these words. He was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, which is a really interesting thing. Uh, it wasn't as if Jesus' disciples had never prayed before. Uh, they grew up praying, as most uh, good Jewish kids did in, that, in those days. They grew up praying the prayers. But they saw something different in Jesus. They saw that how he prayed was different. There was a level of connection with his father that they didn't have. And as he prayed, stuff happened. And they wanted in on the action. And so they, they were asking Jesus... Teach us to pray as you do. And this was Jesus' answer to their request about how to pray. So I want to begin our, our message today um, by praying this prayer together. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with me, and the words will be on the screen here. And we're going to pray this out loud together, all right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a uh, story is told of a of a guy who showed up at a church uh, for the first time in western Pennsylvania. And this guy had grown up uh, going to churches. He was familiar with church services, but he had never been to this church before. He was visiting. And he walked in, and he, everything looked very familiar, a typical church building. And as the service began, he, he recognized most of the elements. There were scripture readings. There was a time of prayer. But then they got to the middle of the service, and there was something he didn't recognize. Uh, everyone stood up turned around and faced the back wall and recited the Apostles' Creed, which is a familiar uh, creed in the Christian church. Now, he knew the creed, but he didn't understand why people stood up, turned around and faced the back wall and said the creed. He thought that odd and kind of filed away in the back of his mind. And after the service, he leaned over to the person next to him and said, hey, how come we stood up and turned around backwards and said the creed? And the guy said, I, I don't really know. We just have done it that way for a long time. He said, okay, so he found somebody else. How, how come we did that, turned around backwards and faced the back wall and said the Apostles' Creed? And that person didn't know either. And finally, he found someone in the church who had been there a long time, and he got the backstory. The person said that decades ago, their town had really grown. 
Uh, the coal industry had uh, flourished, and new people were coming to the town to work. And people began coming to, to church and began to learn about Jesus, people who did not know Christ and began to decide they wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And these people weren't familiar with the Apostles' Creed. So as a way of being welcoming and as a way of being helpful in their own discipleship, they hung on the back wall a large poster of the Apostles' Creed. And so people would turn around and say it. But years had passed and the church had shrunk and someone had taken down the poster, but everyone just kept doing the same practice. And what at one point had been a wonderful act of welcome and hospitality for outsiders had over time become the very opposite. All of a sudden it became an insider act, something that was almost uncomfortable for outsiders as they came into the church. I think when we come to the Lord's Prayer, and particularly this phrase of the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at today, which is, your will be done, I think we can run into a similar thing. That a phrase that was originally intended to be something quite powerful has become, in our ears and in our minds, something quite opposite. I think usually when we pray that prayer, your will be done, we typically say that prayer in one of three ways. One, it's a prayer of obligation. A prayer of obligation. Meaning, you know, I know that I should say this, I should say, God, do your will, but I really would prefer not to. <laughs> you know, kind of like um, when you're going back to work after a long weekend, and the alarm clock goes off early, and you're like, I know I should get up and get to work. It's what I should do, but what I really want to do is not that. And so it becomes a prayer of obligation for some people. Your will be done. Uh, for others, it's not obligation, but a prayer of resignation. It's what we say when we don't get the thing we prayed for. God, I've been praying for healing. I've been praying for provision financially. And I haven't got the thing I'm praying for. So basically we're saying, fine, have it your way, God. It's a prayer of resignation. Or for others, it's not obligation or resignation. It's a prayer of qualification. It's what we say when we're nervous, that we won't get the thing we're asking for. You know, when I was in uh, middle school, you know, if, if I was uh, interested in a girl, we would never, I would never do the bold thing of going right up and asking the girl to go out, though we never went anywhere together. It just was the status of going out. But I never would do that directly. I had to go and have my buddy talk to her buddy to find out, do we both kind of want the same thing? There was a qualification in how I was going to go about the request. And I think in the same way, we come to God often with a qualification. Does God want the same thing I want? If not, I don't really want to ask that boldly and get my hopes up. So we use the phrase, if it be your will, Lord, do this. It's often a prayer of qualification. And I think we've prayed this phrase, your will be done, as prayer of obligation, resignation, or qualification for so long that we often miss the original intent. And here's what I think it is. It's an invitation for heaven to break through. That's what this phrase is. It's an invitation for heaven to break through on earth. Your will be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. Think about the power of that. So what I want to consider today is what do we need to know about God's will if we're going to pray this prayer 
as the invitation it truly is. And we're going to look at four different things that we need to know about God's will if we're going to pray this prayer as an invitation for heaven to break through. The first thing that we need to know about God's will is that God's will, being done on earth as it is in heaven, is the best thing that could happen. God's will, being done on earth as it is in heaven, is the best thing that could possibly happen. Uh, We get the sense of this when we understand uh, the words used in this phrase. Uh, The word for will in Greek uh, is the word thelema. And that word has the sense of both purpose and pleasure. Isn't that great? Purpose and pleasure. Uh, Isaiah 46.10, we we see this uh, articulated. God says, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That God is going to accomplish his good pleasure on earth. So God's will is his purpose and his pleasure being done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see this in a couple ways in scripture. Um, When you look back at the creation account, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, I mean, we see uh, an account that is just bursting with delight. We see God as creator, almost like as an artist, who is working, um, creating, developing, and delighting in everything he is making. I mean, we even see this today as you, you, know, you see the sun come up in the morning, the beauty of the sunrise. You go to the ocean and see the grandeur of the sun sparkling off the waves. Um, You go for a hike in the woods, and you see the the beauty of the trees in each season. We live in a world that is just bursting with wonder and beauty. And that's because there's a God who has crafted this. At the heart of the universe, there's an artist who has designed all that we see. God is accomplishing his goodwill and pleasure in creation. And if you read the creation account, after each day of creation, do you remember what God said after each day? He said, it is good. He looked at what he made. It is good. He delighted in it. Except for the sixth day, when it's recorded that God made human beings, and he said, it is very good. There was something about the creation of human beings that was even different than the rest of the glory of creation. We're told that God made human beings in his image. That was the phrase, that God made man and woman in his image. There's a sense there that human beings reflect God in a way that nothing else in creation does. And this is a very complicated concept, and we're not going to dive totally into it today. But one of the main ways that we as human beings reflect the glory of God is that God gave us a will. A will is is the power to choose good and evil. God made us almost co-creators under him, to begin to bring order and beauty and into a world that at the time had much chaos. And we are choosing and and bringing about good or evil in the world that God has made. We have a will like God. And God has not left us adrift in life to just figure out for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We see in God's word that he gave us instructions uh, sometimes when we talk about God's will, we talk about it as if it's a great mystery. You know, who can know the will of God? And there are aspects of God's will that is a mystery. But I think the vast majority of God's will is no secret at all. 
He gave us his word so we would know what God wants to happen on earth. That's what the scriptures are all about. Take, for instance, the Ten Commandments. You come to the Ten Commandments, and God very clearly is showing humanity, this is how life is lived best. If you live this way, you will experience my good pleasure. And if we kind of do a little thought experiment, I think we will see how true this is. I mean, just take for an example some of the commandments. Just imagine if we lived in a world where there was no murder, there was no adultery, there was no deceit, there was no coveting. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where none of that existed? I think things would be better if that happened. God desires good for his world. He desires good for us. So when we first pray this phrase, uh, your will be done, we need to be reminding ourselves that God's will being done on earth is the best thing that can happen. Because if we don't believe that, we won't really desire it. We won't really want God's will to happen in our lives. So it starts there. Do we think that God's will being done on earth is the best thing that could happen? The second thing we need to know about God's will, if we're going to pray this prayer as the invitation it truly is, is we need to recognize that God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. At times, I think we use this phrase as a catch-all for all the bad things that happen in life. Well, it was the will of God that this happened. I wouldn't want it, but it happened anyway. And we chalk it up to God's sovereignty. But the whole purpose of this prayer is that God's will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we're told to pray it. God's name is not hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is not here in full as it is in heaven. God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're told to pray that it will be. You know, we see every day that God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. It's called the daily news. There would be no daily news if God's will was done. That doesn't sell. Oh, today there was no murder. Today there was no adultery. You know, today, today there was none of those things. That doesn't sell. So the news cycle is an account of God's will not being done. And the reason this has happened, the scriptures tell us, uh, is what we call the story of the fall. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 describe how God made this good, beautiful, glorious world. And Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 tells us what went wrong. Um, in a weird way, Genesis 3 is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Because if I'm in the middle of a problem, I want to know what happened. It gives us our bearings in a broken world. What happened here? And what it tells us is that we have come to doubt God's goodness. That's the heart of what has gone wrong. When God made this good world, there was nothing in this world that was bad. But God did put boundaries in place. He made man and he made woman and he put them in the garden to enjoy life, to care for all that he has made. And he gave them a, a, a prohibition. He said, do not eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So even before their sin, there is a prohibition. God says, don't do this. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with eating that fruit. I mean, there's nothing inherently sinful with that fruit. It was a boundary, a reminder that you're not God, that God is the designer, the creator. He's the one who says what is good, what is right, and what is wrong. 
But right from the very beginning, the evil one came into the story and sowed a seed of doubt into human beings. That God is holding out on you. He said no to the tree, but if you ate of that fruit, you would have what you lack right now. Life would be better. He's sowing doubt that God's boundaries are for our good. And ever since then, that same story repeats itself in our lives. We doubt that God's boundaries are for our good. We doubt that the commands are actually the path to life. And we live in a world that wants to decide for ourselves what is right and what is good. And I would go so far as to say that this same doubt, this lie, it's actually at the foundation of the Western worldview, the life that we live. The foundation of our Western worldview is that freedom is about deciding for ourselves how we should live. And the scriptures say that's not the path to freedom, it's the path to slavery. Because when we decide for ourselves how to live, what happens is we're all deciding differently. We're all at war with one another. We can't be at peace because we're all trying ourselves to be little g-gods rather than trusting that God's will is the will that unifies us all. So we have to ask ourselves, are God's boundaries for our good? I mean, God puts boundaries on us. Things we should do, things we should not do. How we are designed. We have to decide, is God right or are my desires right? I think we're at heart all like children who doubt the goodness of their parents' boundaries. Those of you who are parents probably know this. You say, hey, you should eat this kind of food. And most kids I know say, I'd prefer the dessert. Hey, you should go to bed at this time. I'd like to stay up. Hey, you should not play this many hours of video games. I think I'd like to. You know, most children doubt the goodness of their parents' boundaries. And that's all of us. That's all of us. I, I love what um, uh, theologian uh, Helmut Thalik uh, said. There's a quote from him. He said, uh, in the last analysis, we know very little about our real needs, about what we lack and what we need. So we often pray for foolish things when what we need is something totally different. We are naked, and instead of praying for clothing, we pray for bonbons. We are imprisoned by certain passions, and instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for our cell. So often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our needs. And the reason is that we do not know the deepest wants and necessities of our life at all. God, the one who knows us, knows our deepest needs. We don't. So if we are to pray, your will be done, as the invitation it truly is, we have to recognize that we don't know what is truly good. Therefore, our will must not be the center. Thirdly, if we're going to pray this prayer, as the invitation it truly is, we have to know that the human will can be transformed to desire and do the will of God. The human will can be transformed to desire and do the will of God. Romans 12, chapter 2, has a wonderful statement. We're told, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. 
this passage starts out by saying there's really two options in life. There's only two options in life. You know, either there is conformity to the patterns of the world around us, or there is transformation through the power of God. And now, you may chafe at that a little bit. Really? Just two options? But I think it's true. Either we are adopting a cultural pattern impressed on us by the world around, or we are allowing God to renovate our soul from within. I think one of the great ironies of our day-to-day is, you know, probably the prevailing view of today is you do you. You know, be original. Decide for yourself what is right and good for your life. But the irony is that's a cultural pattern that if you dig into the sociology has deep roots in philosophy that began a couple hundred years ago. So you do you is one of the greatest copycats acts ever. You do you like everyone else is told to you do you. The real freedom, the real difference is to say, I'll do what God says. As we are truly releasing our right to decide for ourselves what is right and good because not one of us made ourselves. God made us and he knows what is best. And so we're told not to adopt behavior and patterns and customs of the world around us, whatever those might be. And there's lots of different behaviors and patterns. It could be a behavior and a pattern um, on a very conservative side or on a very progressive side. But there's still worldly cultural patterns. How do we then experience what Jesus talks about here, this transformation? Well, we're told here it happens by changing the way you think or by the renewal of the mind. That God wants to give us a new outlook, a new perspective, new sight, a new nature. And the result is that we then know what God's will is. What a promise. We actually have a sense of bearing in life. We know what God wants us to do. We trust that it's actually good, and we're able to do it. We know what God wants us to do. We see it as a good thing, and we're able to do it. That's what God has for us in terms of his will being done. But this transformation is only possible through Jesus, the perfect human. And I want to read through a few uh, scriptures here. I want to show you how Jesus as the perfect human represents to us the perfect will. See, the will is the the center of the human being. It's like the, the executive operating function of our person. Sometimes it's called the heart or the spirit but the will is the center of us. It's what drives our whole life. And what we see in Jesus is the will that all, we all should have, but don't have, but can have in Christ, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verses five through seven. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scripture. That Jesus saw through all the religious trappings into the actual doing of God's will. He came wanting to do the will of God. Not just play religion, but doing what God wants done on earth. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will 
of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, doing God's will was like, it was as important as taking in the meal. I mean, for him, doing God's good pleasure was the best thing he could do with his life. And he perfectly did the Father's will. John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. This is one of the clearest places where Jesus gives his mission for life. He says, I came from heaven to earth for this purpose. It's to do God's will, and here's God's will, that we would have eternal life. Now, think about eternal life, not just in terms of quantity of life, that, would, that is life forever, but quality of life. It's a certain kind of life that in Jesus is eternal life. And connected to him, we can know God and live a life connected to him and a life walking in his ways. See, the eternal life can begin now and endure forever. And Jesus has come that we could have this life. He's talking about the renovation of the human being. That human beings could have what we lost when we turned from God. We could be reconnected with the source of life itself and our, our wills could be reoriented. That's eternal life. But how this would be accomplished, none of us could have imagined. Matthew 26, verses 39 to 42, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And before he does, he is praying to God. And he is praying this very kind of prayer. Your will be done. And he is struggling to pray it as we so often struggle to pray it. And it says, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing but the body is weak. Then Jesus left him a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. The one person in the history of the earth who perfectly did the will of God, the one person who truly did not deserve any kind of consequence for wrong, instead took upon himself all the consequence for our wrong. He surrendered himself for our good to the will of God. God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven in our lives because Jesus, in the garden, prayed, your will, not mine, be done. And he did that for us. See, that's what changes a human heart. We doubt God's goodness. But when we look at Jesus Christ, how can we doubt that he is good? If he was willing to do that for us, if he was willing to go to the cross when he didn't have to, if he was willing to die when we weren't even seeking him, maybe we don't understand all of God's instructions, all his ways, but we can't doubt his heart, that he loves us, and he is good and wants what's best for us. Our hearts begin to change as we look at Jesus' heart 
for us demonstrated in the garden when he said, your will be done. Then we come to our last item that we need to know if we're going to pray this prayer as the invitation it truly is. And that is that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not just a wish. This is not a fluffy, you know, I hope I make myself feel a little better prayer. This is a declaration of the future. This will happen. One day, God's will will be perfectly done on earth as it is in heaven. And we long for this day. And we pray for this day. We long for Christ to return. He came once humbly. Bjorn even said last week, almost in a secret, subtle way, his kingdom came. But not so when he comes again. When he comes again, every eye will see. Every knee will bow before Jesus, for who he really is. But on that day, and this is what is hard to reckon with, the reason God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven is because all that opposes the will of God will be removed from earth. That's what the scriptures tell us. The reason God's will will be perfectly done is there will be no more sin. There will be no more anything or anyone at odds with God's will. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, not everyone who says religious-sounding words uh, enters the kingdom that is prepared. It is all about the orientation of the will, which is why we have such urgency in the present to receive this gift that God offers, that he wants to give us the gift of a heart change, of a will change, a heart that wants to say yes to God, and then a heart that is able to do his will. C.S. Lewis wrote a uh, fascinating book where he was kind of speculating uh, about thoughts about the future, about heaven and hell. And um, this is not scripture, but I love his imagination. The book's called The Great Divorce. And if you haven't read it, it's, it is well worth the read. Um, but in this book, there actually is this bus that traverses back and forth between hell and heaven. And the great irony of the book is that those that come, that hop on the bus from hell and go to heaven discover they don't even want to be there. They have become a certain kind of person that doesn't even want heaven. Uh, in this book, here's one of the quotes. Lewis says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. See, God is wooing us to heaven by putting heaven into us now. His will being done in us now is about heaven coming into earth. The invitation of Jesus is for heaven to break through into our lives now so that his will is done in us and through us so that when that final day comes, we will quite naturally continue that life forever. So the question is, how can we practically pray for God's will to be done in this coming week? So I want to leave us with a couple practical suggestions. I know we've leaned in pretty heavy on some hard topics this morning. Um, 
how can you, we practically uh, pray in line here? Two thoughts. First, pray for what is certain about God's will. I referenced earlier in this talk that a lot of God's will is not a mystery. There are many places in the Bible where it actually, where it actually says, this is God's will for you. Uh, for instance, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No surprise there. Um, when you look through the commands of the scriptures, they're clear statements of God's will. I think it's important for us to start there, saying, God, I pray that you would do your will in my life this week. And maybe we realize there's an area of our life where we are struggling to do God's will. Uh, if you can't identify an area, you're probably not looking hard enough. Because all of us as sinful human beings find areas where we struggle to do God's will. And we say, God, I need, I want to want to do your will. Help me this week. I want to want to do your will in this area. Help me this week. So, pray God's clearly revealed will. Your will be done in my life. Secondly, in areas where it is uncertain, pray for trust. I'll give you a, probably a for instance you can all resonate with. Right now, I hope many of you are praying that God will provide a pastor for this church and that it won't take too long. I'm guessing, I'm hoping, that's a prayer of yours. Here's what I don't know. I don't know when God wants to answer that prayer. I don't. It may be a three-month window, a six-month window, a one-year window, longer. I don't know. What I do know is that God wants his church to be unified, regardless of the time. And so pray boldly that God will provide a pastor in short order, but be surrendered to following his clear will as we wait for God to reveal his hidden will. I'm grateful that God has given us this prayer to pray. It's also challenging. Your will be done. Do we truly want it? Here's the answer. It's the best thing that could happen. I encourage you to pray this prayer this week and look for heaven to break through. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word and uh, we are grateful that you have given us instructions for life. At the same point, Lord, it's hard. I have to confess that there are so many areas of my life where I know I just don't want your will in the same way that I want my will to be done. Thank you, Lord, that you love us anyway, that you have made a way for us in Jesus Christ to be made right with you, and you are about the process now of realigning our will to yours. God, I pray that you would do that in us this week. Um, you and you alone know what is truly good in life. So please, do your will in our lives, even when we're resistant, Lord. God, you and you alone know what's best in your church. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray you would do your will in and through this church this week. And God, we pray for our world. We know that your will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. And we long for the day when it will be fully done. So Lord, do your will on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand? We're going to, um, as we've been doing these past few weeks, uh, we're going to sing through the Lord's Prayer together, and then we'll have uh, communion.
against us and lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power scriptures we have recorded for us when Jesus institutes the meal or the Lord's Supper one of the things he, he teaches he says do this in remembrance of me so the Lord's Supper is a celebration of memory and hope it's a time where we can remember all that God has done for us especially in Christ it's a thankful remembrance of the entire life and ministry of Christ his participation in the creation of the world, his birth at Bethlehem, his teaching and miracles, his suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, his sending of the Spirit, and his second coming and final reign. Significantly, we remember not only the actual events, the past, what we're looking forward to in the future, but we also remember and reflect on how those events give us an identity and how they transform us. So the psalmist says in, in, in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. And so in remembrance, with thankfulness, with happiness, we come to this table together. longer fingernails to get that peeled apart. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Let's pray. God, you have given yourself to us and made us yours. You've prepared a table before us, led us to it, and fed us abundantly. Thank you for your life-giving gifts. Thank you for uniting us with you and with each other. Thank you for giving us new life and new hope 